content warning. This podcast contains coarse language and cheeky themes. So if you've got kids in the car, colleagues in the office, or a nonna in the kitchen, chuck some headphones in. Who the bloody hell are we? Conversations about immigration and culture in Australia with your hosts, Mel and Sonia. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's episode, our final episode in season three. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sonia Diorio, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Melissa Viola. Hi. Hello. Welcome springtime and the end of the season. This is crazy. Yes, and the end, not really the end of lockdown. (laughs) That's the only thing that persists (laughs) in this world. But are you happy to be inside recording an episode? I know you pumped for today. Yes, the girl's excited. I'm super excited. Uh, We have a wonderful guest today. Today we're joined by Sammy Shah, a multi-award winning writer and comedian who's released books such as I Migrant, the Islamic Republic of Australia, and Boy of Fire and Earth. He's performed stand-up around the country and can currently be seen on the live stream show on Saturday nights, Delivered Live. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, this is life in isolation. It's not like I had anything else to do, I can assure you. But, uh, yeah, not not to say that I would have have turned you down otherwise. Yeah, right. uh, But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a grim world we live in. Yeah, it is. Um, But it's good because it's it's convenient that you can just be at home. You don't need to leave your house to record it. You can just, like, jump in and out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been interesting because part of me has actually been grateful for this whole isolation period. I've, I've, yep. I've been kind of, you know, especially since I moved to Melbourne in 2015, I kind of hit the ground running and I haven't really had a breath, not, you know, at all. I've just been working, working, working yep. and, and, and life and working and everything kind of piling up. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, I wake up some days and I'm like, did I get out of bed? Like, I don't need to get out of bed. Like, this, What's there to be achieved by getting out of bed? So, you know, yeah. those are choices that I get to finally make now. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Um, I'm antisocial anyway. So, you know, this has been fun as well. Um, but yeah, yeah overall, there's no, I, yeah. There's no deadlines and no obligations to go to parties. And social yeah, events. none of that stuff. Um, there's still work mm. to be done. So I'm doing the work and everything, but, um and and look i do miss you know the only thing i miss honestly that i genuinely miss is comedy clubs it's just gigs i just miss going to gigs this was 2020 was going to be my year for being a full-time comedian again and really focusing on comedy and going to gigs two three times a week and working on my craft and and yeah none of that's happened but that's how it is yeah, obviously that's how we know each other. We've gigged together and also mm-hmm. podcasted together, um, yeah, that's which right. has been very fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, it hasn't been like that for a while, and for who knows when it will happen now. again. Mm. Um, but I guess you've got a lot of family time at home, which is great. I do. I've got my daughter with me, which is great. Um, mm. And uh, you know, we uh, we do week on week off with my ex wife and I. So the yeah. weeks that she isn't here. Um, it's weird because the house goes really quiet. Um, mm. and so that's strange, but yeah, overall it's, it's, it's good. It's not, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, we just spend a lot of time together doing a lot of it, like coming up with creative ways of being entertained, which has been a challenge. Um, uh, but I'm running out of ideas now. What's one of the weirdest activities you've come up with or the best maybe? Um, well, we got yesterday. We went got uh, chalk from Woolies and uh, big, big chunks of chalk, and 
So we went outside. We basically drew on the footpath uh, for an hour, which was our one hour designated <laughs> exercise time. Um, and so that was fun. Uh, we made slime. This Slime has been a large part of my world suddenly. And my daughter's obsession with it continues. And so we ended up making slime. I had to buy contact lens solution and make sure it had boric acid or something in it. And, and I don't know, all kinds of different ingredients. And then we made the slime and popped it in the fridge. And now I've got like three different bowls full of different colored slime that's homemade. And so that's been a big achievement in our lives right now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Slime, sweet <laughs> It's not really awesome, but, you know, I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome until it leaves the fridge and gets all over every single item oh, of your perfect. house. It's sticky. It's it's really gross. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it keeps her entertained, so I'm not going to complain too much. Mm. That's awesome. Um, well, it's one of the really exciting things about having you on as a guest, on top of obviously you being just an awesome guest in general, is that you're our first parent, which is really exciting. Oh, wow. you're the first guest who has a kid, yeah. and so yeah. it's a really cool uh, element that we haven't been able to explore. And I just wanted to know like, how difficult was it immigrating with a kid, and then also like raising her in a culture that you didn't grow up in yourself. Um, it was hard. Look, I mean, the whole reason we immigrated is because of my kid, because, you know, I had a daughter and, and I and I lived in a country where women aren't treated very well. And so for me, it was very much the moment she was born. It was like, yeah, I, I don't want her growing up here. I want her to grow up in a more equitable society. And it's not to say that Australia is not without problems regarding mm-hmm. misogyny and, 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 you know, equal representation of women and all of those things. But compared to Pakistan, it's miles. It's a different, it's a different, you know, it's Ivan's got this great line, Ivan is together, the comedian, where mm-hmm. he says, uh, third world countries and immigrating from them is like time travel. And so, you know, by Australian standards, life in Pakistan for a woman can be a lot like 18th century or early 19th century, not mm-hmm. 21st century. Um, and so I didn't want her to kind of grow up with that stuff. And um, so we came here because of that. She was three years old at the time when we got mm-hmm. here. So she didn't really kind of understand what it was that she was mm-hmm. kind of getting into and, and the decision that was being made for her. And at the time, I knew very early on that she would, you know, there will be days when she will go, well, I didn't ask her to do this. Um, uh, because kids are fundamentally ungrateful little shits. And, um, <laughs> and so sure enough, that happens a lot. These days, it happens a lot, a lot. Uh, it's hard for her because she's got no family here. You know, mm. she's got um, um, she's got me, she's got her mom, but all her cousins, all her grandparents, everyone lives in Pakistan still. And so she feels that, you know, when all her friends are going to their grandmother's house or grandfather's house or whatever, or, or hang mm. out with cousins, she misses that. That big family aspect is there. Um, and it's something I took for granted because I grew up with family, so I never realized how important they are until she doesn't have them around. Um, and then the cultural part is very strange because I'm still grappling with figuring out Australia. It's not something mm. you just kind of get. And yeah. my Australia is going to be very different from hers because I got here at 35. Mm. She got here at three. So, you know, since the age of what, seven, she's been a Brunswick kid. You know, she's 11 now. So, you know, she's been going to a multicultural school in Brunswick. Before that, she went to a Catholic school in Northern um, WA. Now she's going to go to high school and that's going to be a whole other experience. And so I can't, like, I definitely feel that I can't help her with a lot of the challenges that she face because I have no context for them. Mm. All I can do is kind of provide the, my experience and my experience is so radically different. So radically different. It just, it's useless giving advice. Um, so I'm trying to learn as much as I can to kind of, um, 
guide her through this, but I think a lot of it will be her trying to figure it out and me going, well, that was probably a bad idea and I should have warned you, but I didn't know to warn you, that kind of thing, yeah. you know. I mean, what can you tell her? Like, go to stand-up gigs and do stand-up. That's your God, like, no, never, experience never. as a <laughs> comedian in the 30s migrating yeah, here. Yeah, that's, that's it. And, um, but no, it's it's going to be strange because, you know, she's obviously she, she got, you know, she got an Aussie accent. She's uh, she's a Melbourne mm. kid. Um, mm. There's all of that stuff. But then the Pakistani elements are still there because, you know, her parents, like all her friends will go biking up and down Brunswick and Coburg all by themselves, but I grew up in a, in a city where if your kid goes alone outside like that, then I get kidnapped. So especially yeah. if it's a girl, so you know we don't. And her mom's the same, so we don't let her go very far. We're helicopter mm. parents that way, and and everyone goes, you know, you gotta let go. And I'm like, yeah, and I'll be the story that I let go, I let her go out, and then she got kidnapped, and 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 I never saw her again. So. I, you know, it, I, it's that thing where that paranoia and this, this third world country fear is going to stay in your head and you're trying to not be an immigrant parent, but you very much are. It's, uh, it's funny because all the stories you see now on TV and movies and everything are always told from the perspective of the kids of parents, of immigrant parents. You know, the father came, you know, uh, Aziz yep. Ansari's dad came to America mm. and Aziz grew up like that. And I used to always watch those and I realized like, oh shit, I'm the dad. Like I'm the <laughs> old parent. I'm the parent who came here and drove a taxi for 25 years to his kids to go to med school. Instead, they end up becoming doctors or, so, or in, 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 they end up becoming comedians or something. So obviously I didn't work quite as hard as immigrant fathers should, but yeah, that's, that's a weird realization for me to have. Yeah, it's interesting, um, that shift. I mean, yeah, as you were saying, it's hard to shake and then... Um, the shift, you know, I'm a second generation, Im- I don't know what it's called, but my parents immigrated here versus Mel's grandparents immigrated here and we can feel the difference between us. Yeah, both. Oh, totally. They're both, they're all from Italy. Um, but Where in Italy are your the, parents from? Mine are from um, the region Molise. Okay. And so they're from a very small town. Um, yeah, there's yeah, about. Yeah. Two th- not even 2,000 people there. And then Mel's family is from the north. Mm. But okay. we, feel, we feel the difference in um, the strictness mm-hmm. and the progressiveness of mm. our parents, like one generation apart. You know, we've, yeah, had many convos about this, but Mel's... Yeah, and, you know, they're, they're similar in age. Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, wanting to come here for safety reasons mm-hmm. and um, in the, in your book, I Migrant, you kind of said that you may not have made that decision if you had a son. Do you think that, do yeah. you still feel that is true? Yeah, yeah I, look, I don't know. I mean, I know that saying that is, I don't know whether it's, it's misogynistic or misandrist or what, but it, it, regardless, it's the truth. Right. I think the it's the, the reality of your situation. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm yeah, a boy. Yeah. I grew up a boy and I have a sister mm. and I saw her life versus my life in a yeah. developing country. And I know how unequal the opportunities are. And, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my best friends are, are women in, in Pakistan. And, and the, the amount of, I mean, look, and I'm not diminishing how much sexual harassment happens here. But, you know, it's so, you know, there's it's a thing different. over there in Pakistan. Um, it's called Eve teasing which is it's basically when you're a woman and you're walking around, men just coming up to you and kind of casually grabbing you and casually groping you is so common 
there's a there's a catchphrase for it. You know, there's a terminology for it. And mm. I didn't want my daughter to go through that. I didn't want her to go through the thing that, you know, when she goes anywhere, she's always being molested. Any any of those things. I mean, everyone I know, myself, all my friends, everyone, we were all molested as children. I didn't mm. want her to have that. So it was just this thing of, okay, I just want this child to have a better life than the one I could get. If she was born a boy, yes, I would still want that better life. But Pakistan is a society that's geared towards boys. It's built towards the, you know, giving men every opportunity, giving men every every edge in, in society. And so, you know, I probably, I wouldn't have thought of it as much. I wouldn't have considered it as, as much or as yeah. seriously. Maybe would have moved abroad anyway because it's, you know, there's still benefits to living abroad. Like in Australia, obviously, you fucking turn on the tap and drink water from it without having to filter it 13 times, you know. That's just a benefit in and of itself. But uh, the idea that, um, you know, for me, the moment I saw her, I was like, okay, this is a girl. I need to provide her the best, most equal life. And so, you know, just moving about became uh, a no-brainer at that point. It just, it had to be done. Um, and, and I don't regret the decision. You know, I know it's hard for her. I know mm. how difficult it is. But even she knows how misogynistic, how horrendously unfair that society is. And Pakistan is nowhere near like Saudi Arabia. Karachi especially is very modern. There'll be lots yeah. of people who are listening to this. When my book came out, there's lots of people who are in Karachi who were mm. like angry. They're like, oh, you're making us sound like we're Saudi Arabia or something. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, you you are a lot better than a lot of places, but you're still shit. Like, there's a reason why, <laughs> yeah. you know, people migrate out. There's a reason why it's called the third world country. And, and there's a thousand mm. reasons why you're shit. There might be reasons that are not your fault in many cases. But you're still shit. There's nothing you can do about that. And I, mm. I, I have a choice. So, I, you know, I'm born with a certain amount of privilege because of income or economic status or whatever. I'm going to exercise that to make sure my daughter has a better life. Yeah, that's interesting. The, um, <laughs> the different levels of shitness in different countries <laughs> yeah, with yeah, certain absolutely. issues. And it's a difficult thing here too when, you know, you try and be – there's many reasons to be critical of our government, but then people yep. are always like, oh, well, you know, compare it to other places around the world where the lucky country, like we've got freedoms, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we still can't hold um, our government to a high yeah. extent and exactly use our privilege to speak out when it's not that, everyone else has the same privilege as Because uh, whenever I was in Pakistan and I criticised the system, um, mm. I, you know, I was working as a journalist there and, and I was doing comedy as yeah. well and I, I criticized things yeah. and they would go, if you don't like it, leave. So I'm like, all right, fair enough. Yeah. So I left, right? <laughs> and I came to Australia and then I started criticizing. Yeah. Over here, there's things that can be improved. So I point them out. That's my nature. I can't help it. I'm, I'm just like that. Yeah. <laughs> and people say, if you don't like it, leave. And then I was like, hang on. If I just keep leaving every place I don't like, <laughs> then all that <laughs> happens is I'm moving everywhere, but no place improves. No place has any reason to improve. And the reason I'm saying that it needs to be improved is because I want it better for everyone and I love this place. If I didn't give a shit about it, I wouldn't say fix it, right? Yeah. So when, when, when someone says, hey, this is wrong, you know, racism is bad or, 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 or you know, um, uh, unequal pay is bad, things like that are bad, they're not saying Australia is bad. They're saying Australia is good but can be better who doesn't want mm. something to be better? Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's always been a, a, a pet peeve of mine, that kind of reaction to um, 
people getting defensive when you're saying, hey, improve things. Uh, you know, and you get that a lot with immigrants because immigrants will always turn on other immigrants. Immigrants will always be like, oh, I'm here. I don't want anyone else here. Every group of immigrants thinks the other group of immigrants is ruining the country. Um, you know, all of that stuff and, and the amount of racism within immigrant communities and the amount of, all of those issues are there. And then they'll all come here and they'll all be like, well, Australia is great, except, you know, even the Italian and Greek communities, they love mm. Australia. They say Australia is great, but all oh, the, the mother country is the best. And half of them don't bother learning English anyway. And then they get angry at Muslims for not learning English. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah. but your nonna can't speak English. And she's been here 55 exactly. years. Like, so it's all of those <laughs> yeah. kind of complicated things that play into it. And, and for me, yeah. it's the basic stuff of like the, the system works. We've got Medicare. We've got Centrelink. We've got, you know, JobKeeper, JobSeeker, all of these. They, they can be more, they can be better, but we've got them. So let's make them better. Because trust me, mm. I know how bad it can get when you don't take care of these things, when you let them fall apart. That's the difference. Totally. And like we pay so much in Texas. We put so much effort into building this yeah. space that should be great. Why, if, we, if we have the space to ask these questions and if we have free speech, why shouldn't we be talking about it? I love Why shouldn't we be trying to make it better? I love, like, I, okay, <laughs> yeah. like, I come from a country where I, no one paid taxes, right? None of us. Uh, the first time I've ever paid taxes in my life, I've been working since I was 19 years old, was at the age of 35 when I got my first job in Australia. All right. That's the first time I ever paid taxes. And that was probably the lowest I've ever earned in my professional career at that point. I'd been earning lots wow. more money in Pakistan never had to pay taxes because no one pays it over there, right? And I came to Australia and I paid taxes, but I don't mind because I get so much. The roads are good. Mm. The lifestyle reflects it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the hospitals take care of me. If I get cancer tomorrow, there's a medical system in place that will provide me with free Medicare. And, and, and you know, that's right there. My daughter's school education is free. I wish, I, I wish university education was still free here. I really think that's, that's uh, uh, you know, Australia has ruined a lot of its future mm -hmm. generations by not doing that. But, you know, there's so much that's worthwhile that I get out of my taxes. I don't mind. I don't mind paying taxes. I'm more than happy to continue paying taxes. You know, make them higher if I earn more and I get richer. <laughs> when, I was, when, I was Absolutely. ABC, oh, yeah. when I was working at the ABC and I was earning a lot better than I've earned in a long time and will ever again probably now that I don't have that job, um, you know, I went into a high tax bracket. I was fine with that. And I and honestly, I, I was like, look at the things I get. Look at the things my daughter gets. Look at the things my family members get. Like, it's worth it for me. Yeah. Yeah, there Only are more people, people had that attitude. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, th this sort of attitude I generally hear in people who aren't super rich. The super rich are the ones who yeah. hate taxes, who have the money to pay for them. It's yeah. crazy. But um, as you were saying, you know, patriotism is often linked to loving your country and saying it's great and saying it's perfect and we're in the best country. And then if you do criticise you're called unpatriotic and you hate this country and whatever. It's like if you love your country, wouldn't you want it to be the best it can be? It's what happens when you confuse you know? patriotism with nationalism. And nationalism is yeah. that kind of fanatical, unquestioning love of a country where, you know, d don't you dare criticize it. If you criticize it, you're a traitor and love it or leave it. And all of American style, you know, that whole American approach yep. to yep. the countries. Yep. 
Part of the thing I always assumed was that Australians, the way they sell themselves at least anyway, was, you know, it's this whole culture of, ah, we don't take anything seriously and we take the piss out of everything. And, and you know, it's fair dinkum and fair go and all of these catchphrases that Tony Abbott used to love using all the time. Um, and But the moment you say anything about Australia, you are ungrateful, you're attacked and all that. But if you look at the people, you know, like if you look at Andrew Bolt, if you look at Alan Jones, if you look at, you know, all of these people who are big commentators on the right, all they do is bash Australia, technically. They're only mm. bashing a part of it. They're saying the immigrants, they're saying the Muslims, they're saying the people of color, they're mm. saying you know, the, the African, they're saying all of that, the left, you know, but that's still Australia. Those are still people who are Australia, living in Australia, Australians. So you're still hating a part of your country. But for some reason, people on the left have to feel defensive about a minor criticism that they might be putting out there because they're just shit at arguing, it turns out. And so that's the only difference. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really easy to say, hey, if you hate, like, tell, tell Andrew Bolt, no one's ever tells Andrew Bolt, hey, all you do is whinge about how Australia shit, how Australia shit is. Leave. Get the fuck out. <laughs> go back to fucking Holland. Like, go back to Europe. Your dad's from there. He never learned the language, by the way. Your dad still can't speak English. You've still got mm. Dutch TV channels coming into your home. Leave. You don't love Australia, clearly, because the Australia that I know, which is multicultural and all those things, I love it. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. That's a really great point. And you have mentioned the not speaking English thing a few times. And I think when people are criticizing that here, what they mean is we don't like it when non-white people can't yeah. speak English. Because yeah. as you mm. said, the nonners and the yayas yeah. and all that, like they never learned. Well, I mean, some of them did, but a lot didn't. And, but you know, they, but, you know a, they'll also say that in, in their time, in the 70s and 80s, when they, 60s and mm. 70s, when they were coming here a lot in large numbers, yeah. they were attacked for not speaking English either. Uh, but they said totally. that. A lot of them said, fuck you, I'm never yeah. going to learn it. You know, it's a shit language. Italian's far more beautiful, and I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> that was their decision. <laughs> but guess what? It's more still, phonetic. Yeah. They paid taxes, they settled <laughs> in, and they got homes and all of those things. So... Mm. They're, you know, they oh are... no, they didn't just get homes. They they bought whole yeah. communities. Yeah. Like they have they have twelve properties like all over no, Melbourne my, now. My, my ex was Calabrian, <laughs> and so you know, mm. I mean, half of fucking reservoir and and um, <laughs> Preston and all these areas is her family, and and sure enough, like yeah. it, you know, like every stereotype. The moment the one Italian person I date, half the family is associated with the Calabrian mafia. I'm watching. Underbelly season one, and her aunties are walking by, going, "I knew that guy. I knew that guy. I was at that guy's funeral." For real? Yeah. Oh so it's, God. and I was like, "Look, this is weird because it's like if you go, start dating a Pakistani guy, and all of a sudden everyone I know is an ISIS and Bin Laden and all of that. Like that's <laughs> how much of a stereotype this turned out to be true." Um, but you know, and and and, and they and they get angry. They say things like, "Oh, remember when they sold bacon at KFC, and now the Muslims are here." And I'm like, all right, for starters, why are you going to fucking KFC to buy bacon? It's for fried chicken. So what the hell are you doing with your chicken? And also, yeah, you were those Muslims 30 years ago. So be nicer to the yeah. next group because no one was nice to you. But that's not the lesson we learned. The lesson we learned is if I had it shit, you should have it shit. So that, then, you know, it's that. It is also this... Um... This immigrant thing of how you talk to your kids and like, oh, back in our, our days and, you know, we had to do this and blah, 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 and like you've got it so good. But isn't that the whole point? Yeah. Isn't that, that you're, like you said, you know, you came here so your daughter could have a better life and then they do have a better life. Yeah. And 
I'm That's hoping she point. doesn't have to experience. <laughs> like, I'm hoping she grows up in a Melbourne or a Sydney or wherever she ends up living without racism mm. at all, because, you know, things have changed so much, um, you know, or... And without, you know, misogyny and all that, because things have changed so much. I'm not going to tell her, I... Oh, you're so lucky. You should be more grateful. No, nah, she should take it for granted. That would be amazing. If she could take for granted <laughs> the lack of misery in her life, that would be an achievement. Um, I just want to ask you, you were saying before about, you know, talking about Andrew Bolton, all of these white guys and all of these like shock jocks, you mm-hmm. know, like people who are like white Australians are just, you know, they're fighting for free speech, but they're allowed to do it because, you know, they're pushing the boundaries and it's all about free speech and, you know, like patriotism. But, but like, you know, and you've spoken about this before on other programs about how people of colour don't have that kind of freedom and that they're usually like hysterical or mm-hmm. they're offensive or they're unpatriotic, like come back, go back to where you came from. How do like, how do we get over that? Like, how, is it just going to be people just have to keep, yeah. you know, getting, you have to be <laughs> getting yeah. abused and keep getting shut down until sooner or later it's a norm, it's normalised and it's not such a big deal when someone of a person of colour says something every, that everyone should be saying? Every non-white person I know who works in Australian media got the job because they wanted the job, right? They, they, they got the job as a news presenter or newscaster or, 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 or a TV host or radio host or whatever because they wanted that and that's their passion and that's their interest. But they're also always keenly aware of the fact that they um, are representing a larger community that they don't just represent themselves, that every mistake they make, every achievement they have represents a larger mm. community. And this is all a small incremental step forward for a whole group of people. You know, it's a normalization. Of something. Um, and they're all very aware of that. And that's going to take a lot of time because Australia is very resistant to it. If you go to Britain, if you go to America, you know, you can turn on TV, you'll see people of color all over the place. It's not, it's not like there's problems, there mm. aren't problems there. There's still problems there, but far, far less in terms of, representation in media and 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 public voice than in australia um and it takes a toll i took myself out of the game after the abc i did that for two years um Mm -hmm. i i hated the way i you know i was treated everything and for me it just became a thing of like look this is a fight for younger people i'm 42 now i i don't you know i don't want to focus on other things i i realized i was like okay what do i want to do with my life i think i want to write books i want to do comedy you know i want to raise my daughter I don't want to fight a fight that, you know, there are better people with more resilience who can fight. So I took myself out of that game entirely. Um, and maybe that, that's a weakness on my part and everything. But I also, you know, I also think there's others who are better at it. So um, I think those people get up there. You know, Walid gets up there and, and um, Osman Farooqi gets up there. And, and um, Madeleine Raymond Haber, who's, in, uh, who's a phenomenal Indigenous journalist, and she's in the media now, and she's kind of getting a rising star. And there's a lot of these people who are rising stars. And once they become, once they become the mainstream so much that the next generation of people of color are giving them shit for being the, you know, the gatekeepers <laughs> and, 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 and saying, oh, you know, get out of the way and all, that's awesome. You know, I always said, like, I want to do the ABC Breakfast radio show until a a black woman comes up and says, fuck off, man. Mm. Like, this this isn't for you. Step aside. Yeah. And I'll be like, fair enough. You know, my, my time is done. But, um, you know, obviously the ABC had different plans. Um, but I always felt like that was the thing in terms of, you know, occupy those places until you can hand it to someone even more diverse than you and, and, and more, mm. you know, who has more to achieve with the represented. That's right. 
So it's it's mm. gonna it's gonna change. It's gonna take time. There's always gonna be. I mean, there's always gonna be old people. There's always gonna be you know people who are in the majority who will always be like you know no they're like you know there's no racism and this bullshit to stop whinging and and um and you know you know every brown every brown woman or black woman is hysterical. Every black guy is threatening and all of that stuff. But uh, it's gonna get better over time. It will. It just takes mm. ages. And in some countries like Australia, which are resistant to change, it takes longer. You mentioned your treatment um, there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Were you talking about negative treatment in terms of the audience or actually Uh, the media in which you're working here? Both. I mean, it's still the ABC. It's still the the cultural repository of Australia. It's still a valued resource. And I absolutely think it needs Mm. to be saved from the cost cutting and the budget cutting. and, and, And it's so important to the, it's probably the most important intellectual resource this country has. Um, but it's full of white people who have not, uh, who love patting themselves on the back for being leftist, but have never actually empowered anyone of color. Um, and, uh, and, and they actually stand actively stand in the way of people of color. There's, there's a whole community of the non-white employees of the ABC who talk online in a private messaging group about their experience because there's so few of us that we have stories to train and all our stories are the same. It's all racism. It's all continued racism. It's all people being told you only got the job because you're black. You only got the job because you're Asian. Mm. Um, even though we're five times more qualified than the white guy doing the job, all of that stuff. I mean, the last thing they said to me before they let me go was maybe it was too much diversity too soon. Um, and I was the only non-white, what? only non-white presenter in Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, Canberra, Perth. Um, so, you know, that's, so for me, it's a place like it's like all right. Look, it's an amazing place, and 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 they do amazing work, and they need to get rid of everyone who works there right now and replace them with all new people because those people have been there for thirty five mm. years, twenty five years, and they don't know how bad they are now at their jobs. I've heard that before, like too diverse, like in terms of a lineup, comedy lineup, yeah. That sort of thing. And I'm like, how how can something be too diverse? When they have one you woman know, on, but they're like, possible? oh, we can't have two women on. It's too diverse. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there was this Italian author who she writes kids books, and she was talking recently about being criticised for you know being lefty and like, oh, you just want to create this sort of you know extreme lefty society kind of thing and she's like oh that makes me question my own work Mm -hmm. and am I doing things just because of that and she said well the world is actually diverse right so when I'm writing and I'm filling it with people representing you know different ethnicities and abilities and sexualities I'm reflecting the world I see and actually live on, yeah. live in, not what I want it to be. Yeah. If, like, your, if diversity... your world isn't diverse, that's because you've made an active choice not to make it so. Look, if you live in a country town in WA, mm. I understand. There's no, mm. you know, the, the, the indigenous communities there that you've chosen not to befriend or, or interact with. But, you know, you're not going to find Asians or, or, or Pakistanis or Indians or anyone like that. But mm-hmm. if you live in Melbourne and your entire social group is white, every time you go and hang out with friends, they're all white. Everywhere, every job you're working in, everyone on your floor is white. Then that's a choice that you and, and the mm-hmm. people around you have made to keep your environment white. Um, and so in that case, to then say, 
oh yeah, a book like this is lefty and it's representing not the real world. No, 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 your life doesn't represent the real world. The real world is much more diverse. The real world is yeah. far half, you know, you don't, you know, people are LGBTQI, people are trans, people are, have struggled with disabilities. People have struggled with emotional problems. People struggle, you know, people have different racial backgrounds, ethnic background, all language changes, all of that stuff. Um, but if everyone in your movie, book, TV show, comedy lineup is all white male, then that's an active choice that you are making, which represents a worldview. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A report just came out, what, last week or the week before that was specifically looking at uh, the cultural diversity in Australian media. And it was like 76% of the reporters or the people that you see on news programs are Anglo-Celtic backgrounds. And then the other percentage is like, just like bland, I was going to say bland European, that's not right, but like (laughs) general European. And then it was like a tiny, tiny percentage of outside of Europe and the UK. And it's like, and that's including the ABC and then that percentage of that were outside of Europe and the UK. Basically all those reporters were just from SBS. So it's like one channel that's widely accessible is actually ticking boxes. And even in SBS, none of the management are non-white. You know, it's Mm, always that thing. And and so... Mm. Yeah. You know, and one of the things like the ABC will will do this, where they'll be like, "Well, you know, Patricia Carvelis, she's Greek, you know, so and so is Italian," and it's like, "Yes," and I know They're that white. I'm not diminishing the fact that Italians <laughs> and Greeks also suffered a certain amount of discrimination, but white on white discrimination is very different from white on brown, white on black, white on Asian discrimination. Very different. It's literally the difference between a slap on the face and a kick in the nuts. You know, it's it's a massive difference. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you're hoping your daughter grows up in Melbourne, Sydney, somewhere more inclusive, mm-hmm. um, and then that regional WA, you know, you're not going to find um, Pakistanis, except for you because yeah, you did move then, there. Then. But, you know, this, <laughs> right? there was also there was, while I was there, there was the Sri Lankan family who came there as well and the the the, mm-hmm. the the man became a teacher in the local school, um, and the and the wife became a uh, set up a, a Indian restaurant. Even though the Sri Lankan, now they figured you know Indian mm. is more commonly known, and they've settled in there and they love yeah. it. And they made a good life there and stuff. So, you know, it 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 changes over time. More and more, you yeah. know, we're, and with- we're two or three generations away from the demographics of Australia being radically different from the way they are right now. Mm. And was that family settled in Northam yeah. where you were living? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think what it is is Do- us Browns. We and uh, we breed more. <laughs> like we, we have, you know, <laughs> with myself not interested. We have five, six children, and we ha- and we get a yeah. children married young and all of that stuff. And I think the end result is, yeah. Um, you know that we just uh, we just change the demographics of where we go, and I think that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Paint us a picture, because um, yeah, your book details moving from Karachi to firstly Northam, mm-hmm. and we say regional WA, you know, versus a big city in Pakistan. But like, how big hmm. is the city? Is it about? It's twenty six million like, is, people. Is it? So Karachi yep. is a city of 26 million people, which is the population of Australia uh, in one city. Yep. Uh, it is immense. It is massive. It is New York on top of London, on top of Beijing, on top of Mumbai, wow. kind of piled on top of each other. Um, and yep. it's got that vibe. It's it's mad energy all the time. 
Um, it's got a horrific infrastructure. It's got no law and order system because how do you police 26 million people in one city? Um, it is yep. chaos. And from there to, and a chaos that I love still, and I, and I still miss, and I, you know. Yeah. And, and from there to the small town of 2,000 people, or 3,000 people. Wow. Uh, and that wasn't the town. That was the whole shire of Northern, which is like the whole area, you know. Um, mm. And my best friend was uh, one guy who worked in the detention center on the outskirts of town. I had two best friends. One, guy, one was the guy who worked as a security guard at the detention center. And the other guy owned a 4,000-acre farm that his family had had for basically, I think his great-great-grandfather was the governor general of WA, the first governor general of, of WA. And his family had had that forever, and they'd always been there forever. Um, and so you just kind of settle into a really different slow life. Like living in isolation in, in for the last few months has really reminded me of life in Northern. <laughs> That kind of slow pace and, <laughs> and not much to do, so you don't. You had preparations. Nothing's, yeah. nothing's open after nothing's eight. Open. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. I remember there's a really funny time. Where, you know, like uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival takes people on the road show, um, and Reese, Reese yep. Nicholson and a bunch of other comics were in Northam, and they called me up wow. at like nine thirty at night, and they're like, "Hey, we just finished the gig. Where do we eat around here?" And I was like, "Yeah, the Seven Eleven, the Servo." <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? Wow. And I'm like, dude, that's it. That's all there is. What, what, what did you think? Like, there'd be a cafe open or a restaurant? No, you go to the servo <laughs> and you get chips and you get, like, a, you know, a soft drink and you go home. Like, that's your option now. And they they realized that I wasn't making that up. Yeah, it's a very different world. Yep. They realized they'd been in the inner yep, city bubble yep. for quite some time. <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, so you're talking about like the craziness of uh, Karachi. What what does your daughter think about it? How, how often does has she gone back? And what are her responses to it being, like like you said before, like a Melbourne kid now? Um, so basically she hasn't been back. We haven't been back now in I think 2015, mid-2015 was the last time we were back there. So five years now. Um, mm -hmm. It was basically... Um, she loved it. She absolutely loved it when she went back because her grandparents are there and they spoil her senseless and all of that. And, mm, you know, so that's mm. definitely happening. But, and, and she was, what, at the time, she was five and a half, six years old. And even then she noticed, I remember I was, I was in the shops with her one day and she said, where are all the women? There were women about, but nowhere near the amount of men. You know, just men occupy public life mm. there. There's just less women in public life. And... Until she said that I hadn't noticed it. And I'd grown up in that society, so I just never noticed it. You know, you just, you, it's mm -hmm. that joke about two fish um, are in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the water and a third fish swimming, swims by and goes, water's great, right? And one fish turns the other fish and goes, what's water? Like, it's that kind of a thing where <laughs> it's, you know, you don't know your environment until you leave your environment. So um, mm -hmm. she definitely had this moment where... She was like, where are all the women? She pointed that out to me. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, yeah, where the hell are all the women? It's like, because they're just not safe to be in public spaces. Or they're just discouraged from being in public spaces. So she had that observation then. And I think now if she goes, she'll have a very different experience. She hasn't gone in a long time. I want to take her back. Mm -hmm. The plan was to go this year um, if we didn't mm -hmm. have uh, this whole isolation thing. We're supposed to be, in fact, be there in November, December. So don't know yet. Um but uh, yeah, I, I don't know how she'll experience Karachi now. It'll be it'll be a more um, mature and more aware observation of Karachi. 
Well, I mean, she was very like observant as a yeah, she's always kid, been like so, that. So you know, it'd be yeah. really interesting to see. Yeah, how she's she... always been like that, yeah. and, I, and and I'm curious to see what she'll think. I think the noise and everything will will be shocking for her. It was for me when I got back. You know, just how crowded 26 million people is, how noisy it is. Mm. Um, but uh, it's also you know, there's not there's a downside to it. You know, electricity goes like twice a day, thrice a day. There was rains recently, and the whole city flooded, and so people were trapped inside the houses for four days at a time, and you know, that's just been a, li- a part of life that I grew up with, which I don't have, she'll never experience. So it should be interesting to see if, you know, when she's there and she's sweating in the heat and there's no electricity and, and all that stuff, how much she she misses being a Pakistani anymore. <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, doing comedy over mm-hmm. here versus back in Pakistan. Uh, so in your book, there's a lot of dark humor yes. and it obviously really works with the situation. It it makes so much sense why it's there. And you, you sort of talk about Pakistanis having to um, adapt to um, like traumatic situations yeah. or get over things really quick um, due to the violence and attacks surrounding them. When you got here and you started doing comedy, did people perceive you as a bit too dark or I knew you know crossing the lines in terms of I that. think I knew very quickly to moderate my tone you know I had enough awareness then yeah. to kind of go okay some of those jokes won't go over well you know there's still jokes mm. now that I know won't go over well as well but overall um and you know sometimes it'll be uh, as comedians you'll have a joke where you're like that's funny and the crowd will be like nah it's not or They'll go, whoa, that's inappropriate. And you're like, really? Shit, I totally should have thought about that that way. Um, that's a part of the risk of doing of doing live comedy. But overall, mm. I think um, I, you know, I knew to kind of moderate the stuff. Like, there's stuff I do about child molestation, being molested as a child, which in Pakistan destroys because we were all molested as kids. We all laugh about it. We all make fun about it. You know, wow. all my friends and I used to make it's relatable. Yeah. But if I do, Gosh, and the thing is, dark. if you do it here. Every you know, a lot of people have been molested as well, but they take it a lot more seriously, you know. And so you just yeah. don't kind of go there, you know. If you make fun of uh, terrorist attacks or something like that, you know, it's a diff- it's a different thing because obviously there's more sensitivity, which is a good thing, you know. The fact that we have consideration for each other is a wonderful thing. You should not be so callous. You should not be so so apathetic to the suffering of others that um, you know you find this laughter in it. That whole thing of like, ah, eh, it's just a joke. Sometimes you should, like, those are really bad things. That reveals a really bad side of your, mm. a damaged side to your character to be able to make those jokes. Um, so it's luxury to not have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's one thing that I noticed in the way that you write is that it was always this constant, like, I went through this really traumatic experience where anyone in Melbourne, if they had like been held at gunpoint or seen something like been uh, on a ground zero of an explosion would be like a huge traumatic event in their life and would be like a defining moment in their adult life. But, you know, you, you write about it, that there's this attitude, which is like, just rub some dirt on it. You didn't die. Like, just keep going. That's so I think it's because also part of it is because I was younger. But also, yeah, your 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 context mm. changes your trauma. I mean, for me, the worst thing that yeah, right yeah. now that I, if you ask me, what's the worst thing you've ever been through? It wasn't terrorist attacks. It wasn't any of those things. It you know, it wasn't mm. you know, people I know, I love and know dying or being killed or any of those things. It was the fact that my partner, yeah. like who, who my my former partner, cheated on me. 
you know, and when I found out about the affair, I was wow. a mess for like mm. for months, you know, and I'll go like, dude, nothing compares to that. It is the most traumatic thing you can ever have go through and no one should ever, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Because in my context now, that is horrific. It's a horrific thing to go through. Yeah. So I think it really changes who you, where you are, who you are at the time and how you can deal with those things a lot. You know, if I tell my friends, yeah. So like, yeah, first world problems. I haven't had electricity in four days. The, the, the streets are flooded and there was another terrorist attack, you know, in my workplace. And I'll be like, yeah, fair enough. But uh, but they'll also be like, oh, but she cheated on you. That's horrific, man. That's real. So like yeah, everyone's got everyone's got their own <laughs> oh. levels of empathy, sympathy, etc. So you did start stand up when you were in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. How established was the scene there? Uh, there's no scene. There's OK, so comedy. Comedy has got a long and rich history in Pakistan, you know, in terms of, and it's mostly, mm-hmm. um, it's mostly uh, sketch comedies, very popular. There is stand-up yep. comedy, but it's more, um, you know, kind of old school Borscht Belt, Borscht Belt approach to comedy, you know, take my wife, please, that kind of stuff. But, you know, a Pakistani context for that. Right. Um, there are some amazing pioneers and stuff and, and, and brilliant talk comedy and everything, but that's largely sketch television you know, those kind of formats. So that American style of stand-up comedy, there have been a few practitioners before, but they were in the previous generation. Um, and they, you know, they had one act which they did for decades, you know, is that kind of a thing. And you wanted them to yeah. do that. Like when they went on stage, you wanted them to do that classic bit you've heard them do on TV before. Um, mm. So the, like when I, it was myself and another guy, Saad Haroon, we were the first two to kind of do, um, you know, Western-style, American-style stand-up comedy. Um, you know, get up on stage for an hour with your thoughts and your jokes and make them funny. Um, and so we did that. And then for a few years, it was just us. And even Saad kind of left and went to America for a while. So it was literally just me. Um, I used to just book out auditoriums, travel the country, uh, sell tickets. People would come and they'd enjoy it or they wouldn't enjoy it. And that would be it. And now, um, and, and then after I left, uh, I don't know what happened, but I've heard from a lot of people that now there's like a small open mic scene um, and a lot of people do stand-up comedy, but there's no comedy. It's not like in India now, there's comedy clubs and established stand-up comedians and all that. There's none of that still yeah. in Pakistan. You know, there's no established scene. If you know, if you want to do stand-up comedy on a Thursday evening, where you know, where do you go? There's none of that. I think it's still open mics will happen. There'll be musicians, there'll be poets, and there'll be a couple of people doing comedy. Some of them might be doing it regularly enough that they're getting an act together. But overall, um, it's very, very early stages. I was kind of wondering, you know, you mentioned in uh, the Islamic Republic of Australia and just before that you sent your daughter to a Catholic school um, and then kind of like your own, you know, wants for her to maybe live a, uh, a secularist life yeah yeah well yeah. you know because you know you, you speak so much about wanting to step away from islam and then mm-hmm. she goes to a catholic school and then starts talking about jesus and then um in the book you mentioned that you you then get your mom to start teaching her about islam how yeah. are you going now at being a parent and stepping away and being like she's got to figure this out on her own and, and she's going to be exposed to lots of different things the stuff about islam i wanted to learn is cultural you know, there's, it's like, it's like Chris, Christian, uh, sorry, Christmas has got nothing to do with Christianity anymore. It's yep. got everything to do with the commercial aspect of the holiday and the fact that it's a holiday and, and the presence and the family and all that stuff. Um, it's the same thing to do with Islam in, in terms of we have Eid and we have those holidays and the special days which we celebrate. And I want her to kind of know and appreciate and value those. Um, 
But beyond that, you know, I don't mind her going to a Catholic school. I, in Northern, we went to a Catholic school because we didn't know. We literally just moved into town. I had no idea mm-hmm. about the Australian education system uh, or any of those things. Uh, someone said, hey, the school right near your house is better than the school that's not near your house. And I said, okay, sure. Which one does she get into? And they said, oh, the one near your house she anyway gets into. So we put her in. It's only later I realized, oh, one's a Catholic school, one's a public school. And, you know, all of those <laughs> issues involved. Um. And here she, you know, she goes to a public school here right now, but for high school, she might end up actually going to another Catholic school as well, because the resources are really good and everything. And, and in the end, as much as I love and support the public school system, I'm, I'm a hypocrite and I want my daughter to have the best of the best and I can't afford a private school. So I'll afford the second best. Um, so there is that element as well, but also I don't think she's going to turn out to be Catholic. You know, I don't think she is skeptical enough and cynical enough that she knows it's all bullshit. I grew up in a system that was entirely geared towards brainwashing you into being a Muslim. And I still stopped being one, you know, and she's got the level yeah. of awareness that, you know, and if she wants to become a Catholic or a Jew or a Hindu or a Muslim or whatever, that's her choice. And, you know, we'll deal with that then. Um, she might go to that cultural yeah. phase, which a lot of immigrant kids do, where they, you know, connect to the old country's culture a little bit too strongly for a while. You know, when she's 18, she might come back in a hijab mm-hmm. and be like, I'm a Muslim now and how dare you and all of that stuff. And that's fine. That'll happen if it happens. You know, that'll be her choice. But um, I, I think it's, it's you can't force people to believe certain things and you can't guide them beyond a certain level. So the choices she makes are her own. For me, it's mm-hmm. more about... Which one has good resources? You know, which school has the better system? I wanted to, she really wants to go to an all-girls school because she's a feminist and she, and she believes in, in the fact that a, and this is her choice that she's like, you know, if I go to a co-ed school, like a lot of my friends, they'll be distracted by boys and all that. And the system is geared towards boys achieving certain things and girls not. And I want to go to a place where STEM and all of that stuff is just, you know, it's just girls versus girls, which is a system that's more equitable for girls. So we said, all right, fine, girls school to different school options um there's one that where we really liked and so we, we applied and she got in and and it's a catholic school she's not going to come out thinking about jesus that's i doubt that's going to happen there's yeah there's a difference between going to a catholic school and believing and following in the catholic yes uh faith i went to a catholic yeah. school but i was raised very catholic we went to church um, at school and then, you know, every Sunday and you, that was a family thing, but I know that not everyone I went to school with was Catholic or even really knew that much about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was like, I was a product of going to Catholic school with parents who were like, well, Nonna will be happy and it's a better school. So you should probably (laughs) go and they'll teach you nice things. Like, you know, you'll learn to like respect people. So I think I totally respect that. I think that's Uh, a good uh, mindset. Yeah. I mean, they'll teach you a few fuck things too but yeah of course absolutely <laughs> but your daughter by the way you've been speaking about her how old is she 11 she just sounds really per- perceptive and just so aware of so many she things is. that i was not at 11 and yeah she is she's very intelligent um and and that that's a good thing and that's also a hard thing because she's very observant about the world and and that makes life more difficult for her um, but, uh, yeah, she's, you know, she's, she's pretty awesome. So it's, uh, you're, uh, I'm biased. So you're asking a father if he thinks his daughter is the best thing on earth. <laughs> Obviously I do, so. Um, hello. Yeah. She's 11 years old and she's calling herself a feminist. I think that's like a big win in my book. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. 
for being so generous with your stories and your time. We really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you online? Um, I've got a website which is grossly out of date, uh, thesamisha.com. So it's T-H-E-S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H.com. Um, and then Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm on all the socials. If you just look up S-A-M-I, uh, Sammy, S-H-A-H, Isha, uh, I should mm-hmm. pop up. And, um, yeah, I, I delivered live, which is a, sh- a live show I've been doing every Saturday. Uh, I do a fake news bulletin on that. Uh, wraps up this weekend, but which I don't know, you know, when this episode will be out, it's probably over by then. Um, and so yeah. I guess, yeah, once comedy starts back up in Melbourne, you know, come to a comedy club and you might see me there and, and keep an eye out for, you know, who knows when we'll have another comedy festival or anything like that. But when we do, please buy tickets. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I mean, delivered live. If, if we don't know what our next set of lockdown is going to um, entail, what the um, the new yeah. measures will be, so yeah. there could potentially be another season of that. And um, fingers yeah. crossed. And it's been really great, and it's paid my bills, and and I was giving me a chance to perform in isolation, yeah. which is so much more than so many people have gotten. Yeah, and do your news bulletin type style, which. It's, yeah, exactly. it's something from reading your book is something that you started in uh, Pakistan doing satirical news. Yeah, yeah. ages back. Yeah. Uh, so it's a format I love. I love doing news satire stuff. And so the getting to do that again has been really awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure people can find info on all your books on your website. And That's right, uh, on yep. thesamishaw.com. Yeah, if you are mm. listening to this show, obviously you've got some interest in the personal migrant experiences and we highly recommend I Migrant. Um, it's, yeah, it's a great book. A lot of uh It's grossly out of date, humongously out of date. Like I think I finished it when I was still in Northam, so 2013, 2014. But, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, if- I mean the first half is there. Yeah, I mean, you, you're not going to find out what Sammy's doing in the past week, but <laughs> it is that um, it does detail that journey um, from yeah. Karachi to Northam. Uh, thank you so much once again, Sammy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can join us on Patreon. Look us up, Who the Bloody Hell Are We? And for a few dollars a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month. You'll get our fortnightly newsletter and we'll give you a shout out on the show. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our most recent Patreon member, Julia Lambert. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. If you can't give at the moment, then... That's fine. There's other ways that you can help us grow. We would really appreciate it if you uh, share the podcast with your friends, with family members, with other people who you think would also be interested. All of these things um, help us grow and will help us make season four. So we have come to the end of season three. We'll be taking a break for October and be back with another great season sometime in November. So stay tuned, stay on the lookout for that. Thanks once again and goodbye. Ciao, Michi. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Who the Bloody Hell Are We? If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Audio production and original music is by Andre Christodoulou. Search for us on Facebook for more information about our guests fun content and to keep the conversation going.